Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. It is about, uh, let's say, 12.40 in the morning, right? So it's just past midnight, and um, I just finished recording the first part of this two-part episode on fire and burning in the Bible. Now, once again, the context for this is I am going through the text in Luke chapter 24, I think it's Luke chapter 24. Let me, let me pull that up real quick. Luke chapter 24, which would be the resurrection account in St. Luke, right? And particularly the road to Emmaus. Now, why the road to Emmaus? Why this little esoteric point? Well, I am trying to explore a greater idea than just this little thing, and I want to use this little thing to explore the greater idea. That is the burning, the burning in the bosom, right? That's an idea that is latched on to American Christian thought, that this is a good thing, right? You want to be on fire for Jesus. Well, let me tell you, buddy, um, fire in the Bible is not a particularly friendly thing. If you want to explore the word fire, listen to the previous episode. If you want to explore the word burn, welcome to this one, right? So the particular section that inspired this is um, the disciples, they, they listen to Jesus expositing the Old Testament to them, right? Telling them how the Old Testament is all pointing forward to him. And then they're going into Emmaus to basically spend the night, as far as we can tell, and they convince him to stop. He comes to dinner with them, breaks the bread, and they realize it's Jesus. They realize that he's risen from the dead. It's amazing. They run all the way back to Jerusalem, book it for seven miles. They get back to the disciples, and they tell them, and then Jesus shows up right there and says, peace to you. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, and that is where he gives them the Holy Spirit. This is the day he rose. Amazing stuff. Uh, so he gets to spend his his afternoon walking on a road and talking about everything he's been working towards and telling them, like, revealing to them how he has been setting about to work redemption for the world. And they're sitting here, right? I'm going to introduce, I'm going to introduce, I'm going to poison the well for you a little bit. They start off by saying, uh, they're talking about it. And he comes up, hey, what are you What are you talking about? What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stop and look sad. They stood still looking sad. And one of them answered him and said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who's unaware of the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came, saying that they had seen, also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us also went to the. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, "O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ suffer these things and to enter into his glory?" And that's that. And then he proceeds to tell them what happens in Moses, right? And what's their response? What inspired this whole thing? The following thing. They said to one another, after he vanishes, were not our hearts burning within us as he, while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And I'm asking the question, what does this mean? 
What does this mean? So I'm going to look at the entire context of the word burning to see if we can get an idea of what kind of sensations burning is associated with and how we can then interpret this uh, confession by these disciples. So just like in the previous one, um, and I'm not going to reference the whole one last time, uh, but just as in the previous one, I'm going to kind of hone in on Jeremiah chapter 20 and Psalm 39 because they also speak of the heart on fire, right? In Jeremiah chapter 20, it is um, the the prophet complaining to the Lord, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. But if I say I do not remember him or speak anymore his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it. I cannot endure it, right? So I can't not say what the Lord has called me to say. You win, Lord. If I wanted to stop, I couldn't do it because it would burn me up because you would burn me up, right? Your word would, would uh, burn my heart, right? That's, I'll admit, you're, you're welcome to have a different interpretation there. Um, we're going to go through the context of the word burning, though. So uh, the psalmist in Psalm 39, this is another totally uplifting psalm. Um, where we get this, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue, right? Let's call back to James, right? James from last episode, that I may not sin with my tongue. That's a, it's a valiant effort, right? To, to not sin with your tongue is a good thing to try because the tongue, no man can tame the tongue. It is evil. It is a fire from hell. That's the way James describes it. The tongue is a fire from hell. So the psalmist says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good and my sorrow grew worse. Right? So what is it? You're not saying anything? Well, that's not a solution because now you're not even saying what you should say. There are things, there are positive things you are supposed to say. And if you don't do it, you're using your tongue for evil. That's the problem. Right? That we are not only called not to say the wrong things, but to say the right things, but to say what we're supposed to say. And this is what makes taming the tongue so difficult. And it makes it admirable that he tries it, but he tries abstinence, complete abstinence, and then he doesn't do the thing properly. He doesn't properly use the gift of the tongue. And his sorrow grows worse. My heart worse. My heart was hot within me while I was musing my fire the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Right? And then he goes on to lament the, uh, the quickness of man's death and how, how long and, well, how little time it is before we, we pass away. How the, the things that we seek for in this life are nothing. And when the Lord looks at us, he, he judges us for what we have done wrong. Rightfully so. And it, uh, it consumes us because we are guilty. Um, in other, other places, we do hear of the grace and mercy of the Lord, but this is true. It is true that the Lord rightfully judges us for our sin. Uh, and so then this is where we get it. This, this hot fire burns with him when, he's, when he does not speak the truth, when he does not speak what is right. The, psalmist, the psalmist's heart burns. So, Let's go to burning in the entire Bible and see what it has to say. Let's see if we can gather some ideas about burning. Right, Once again, fire, what is fire good for? It's good for destroying something. It's good for producing heat. 
and producing light. Thing is, if you want to consume something, you have to pay the consequence of a lot of heat and a lot of light. If you want to, uh, and smoke, right? If you want to get some heat, you're going to have to pay the price of consuming something. If you want light, same thing. Um, if you want to cook something, you're going to have to burn something. So that's what fire does. Uh, once again, we, we, we got rid of fire in our houses as soon as we possibly could, right? And it's the one thing we actually like have detectors for. We try and detect whether or not there's fire because it is that dangerous. It's still that dangerous, right? The people who build their careers off of fighting fire because fire is deadly. And we don't, we don't think about it enough. I, I, I really, I really believe that we need to recognize fire. Fire is awful. Fire is not necessarily that that the good thing. Um, if you could have heat and light without a fire that consumes, that would be a glorious thing. But uh, now where would you get that? Let's find out. Let's see if there's any anything in the Bible that tells us about that. Um, now, the most common use that I found of burnt offerings, a burning is burnt offerings, right? So I touched on that a little bit last time, but um, that would be where you kill an animal and you sacrifice it to the Lord. So it's, it is consumed, and then the aroma, the sweet-smelling aroma of the burnt sacrifice ascends to the Lord, and he has mercy on his people, right? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this is how it is done. As you burn something, you, you consume something, and you set, it, you set it aside, and you let it be consumed, and it is the Lord's. That's how offerings work. Um, there's a certain grimness to that that we need to recognize, right? I mean, think about it. Think about if you took, oh boy, I do not want to get dark here. Let's say you had a pet cow, right? So that we don't have to deal with anything else. But you had a pet cow, right? And then you took it and you sacrificed it. You wouldn't even get beef sometimes, right? I mean, I know I don't want to go into the Levitical codes and say what was eaten, what wasn't eaten, what was given to the priests and what wasn't. Suffice it to say, if you did a complete burnt to a crisp sacrifice, everything's getting consumed. Everything, you're just, you are taking it and you're charring it. It's gone. Um, and this is what we, this is what the Old Testament system was for this was their this was their sacrificing this was sacrificing yeah, I was already saying that boy I must be getting tired um, this was their service right this was how they received forgiveness in much the same way we go to church and we just receive it directly from Jesus directly from Jesus through the words of the pastor it's awesome they got it directly from Jesus through the words of the priest through the shedding of the animal's blood we get it because we uh, because we are no longer seeing through a mirror dimly but now, face-to-face, -face, we can directly take from that new testament of our Lord and drink his very blood and eat his body. Fantastic stuff. Um, sorry if you're a Calvinist, but you're wrong. So, we're going to continue on with burning. right? So, we have got burnt offerings from Noah. Um, and then we got burning of, of bricks to make stone uh, in Babel. So we got the heat used there to try and create a tower, a great tower, and that doesn't go too well for them. Uh, but it works. I mean, the burning works. Uh, not exactly the way you're supposed to use it, though. And then we've got 
Abraham again touched on that with fire. So obviously with fire, there's burning. And then here we go. The first, the first real reference of burning being used in connection with a human person. Now, oh, see here we've got a connection maybe with our Luke text. Genesis chapter 30, verse 2. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Whoa, Jacob, don't you know that burning is supposed to be, burning in the bosom is supposed to be a good feeling? No, it's anger. This is Jacob's anger. It is not going to be just Jacob's anger throughout the entire Bible. I will tell you that. Burning and anger is a very common trend. I mean, it's, it's offerings and anger. Those are the two things that burn most of the time in the, in the Bible. I'm just going to kind of go through the story of the Bible with you to, to show you that. So I hope you uh, enjoyed the last episode where we kind of just marched through the Bible. We're going to do that again. So here we go. Um, we've got Tamar, which is a very interesting story here, right? Um, those of you who don't know, right? Tamar is the wife of one of Judah's daughter, uh, one of Judah's sons, right? So she's his daughter-in-law, and her his sons die, and he does nothing with her. And so then she, oh, man, I'm, this is not a, I talked about Joker. You're all old enough. If you watch the Joker review, you're old enough. Uh, Tamar gets Judah to sleep with her and has a child. And then here we go in Genesis chapter 38, verse 24. Now it was three months later that Judah was informed your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot. And behold, she is also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And where does this story go, right? So this is burning he, burning her, but where does the story go? And when when she had, had lain with him, she, he he got something off of her. She, or she, he gave something to her. Sorry. Gee, I am getting tired. Shouldn't be doing it this time, but I hope it makes for good radio. Anyway, he had given her some of his possessions um, as a, a a marker, right, to let her know that, or to, to basically let everybody know that this was his kid. So there was a promise there: don't hurt her. It's okay. Um, this is my bastard. But then, when when she actually gets called out, right, because he's just said, "Let her be burned," and she says, "Oh yeah, this is the dad, and it's his stuff," and and she, she says, "Examine this and see whose signet ring." And cords and staff are these. And Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my sons Shelah. Shelah. And he did not have relations with her again. And very good. And it came about at the time she was giving birth that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Um, Perez and Zerah. These are the ancestors of Christ. This is the bloodline of Jesus Christ through Judah. Through these twins, she is more righteous than I. That's the consequence of him saying, uh, let her be burned. Because of what? Because she was underhanded with him. Because he was underhanded with her. Uh, it doesn't make it right. But this is, a, this is a fascinating story for me. I mean, this is, this is similar to, to when you see Rahab the harlot. right? Remember Rahab from Jericho. You know, a city that was definitely supposed to be burned. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, that uh, she was saved from the fire, and the the man who takes her as his wife, right, the harlot as his wife, is I think the grandfather of Boaz. 
right? The Boaz who marries Ruth, whose, whose son is Obed, whose son is Jesse, whose son is David. Rahab the harlot is in the bloodline of Jesus. And her grandson marries Ruth, right? This is beautiful stuff. And, and so also with Tamar. Um, it is, it is a, a wonderful thing. These are, these are fantastic stories that I don't think we really spend enough time on. But I'm very glad that I got the opportunity to go with you on this exploration of burning. So Judah is hasty with his calling out for her to be burned and realizes he, he deserves it more as much as she does. If she, if she deserves it, he does too. And he realizes his, his call for justice is not righteous. His call for justice is not a righteous one, and he must rescind his burning because his is not a good, um, his, his is not right. His is not the right to burn her. So where's the next one? Chapter 39, we got Joseph. Um, when Potiphar heard the words of his wife, so his wife, Potiphar's wife, calls out that Joseph tried to do what Judah would with Tamar against her will, She's lying, right? She, she wanted to, but um, Joseph was a righteous boy and didn't do it. Uh, but she's a vengeful woman. Um, and so when Potiphar hears about it, uh, when she said, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. We have another anger burning, right? And this is good, right? It's good. He's looking out for his wife and he's trusting her. She's lying, but he's still trusting his wife, and, and that, is, that is a decent thing for a man to do, especially if that's the, the accusation. So, honestly, I don't blame Potiphar. I blame his wife, sure, but uh, don't blame Potiphar. He, he is, this, is, this is a decent anger. It's not justified, but the anger is, is a good anger given the information that he has. So, um, then we get... Um, Right, so this is this is toward the end of Genesis. Next one is the burning bush. We already went through that one in the last one, so I'm going to skip over that, um, much like I did with Abraham. If you want to go into that one, go into the previous episode. All right, and so now here we go. Exodus four. Um, Moses Moses says, "Hey, Lord, I would really appreciate it if you didn't have me go talk to people because I'm not that good at talking." Uh, Exodus 4.14, Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Right? At this point, Moses has been giving every excuse he possibly can not to go back to Egypt, and, and God just eventually says, No, cut it out. Cut it out, Moses. You're going. All right. So now we have more burnt offerings. Um more and more burnt offerings and more burnt offerings and more burnt offerings and we have more burnt offerings and we have more burnt offerings you get the idea i should almost pause this as i go through it but i'm just going to reference it right we've got um burnt offerings throughout exodus um a, a reference here that that there are things that should, should burn it completely with fire don't let things remain until the morning um if any of the bread remains until morning you shall burn the remainder with fire it shall not be eaten because it is holy um, this is, this is temple, this is or at this point, tabernacle ordinance. Do not let certain things go on. There are things that, that have been consecrated should be burnt. You almost wonder, I almost wonder if we should do this with our, uh, with our wafers that we use for the Lord's Supper. It would, wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, then you have incense burning. So not just offerings, but also incense, right? The sweet smelling aroma. 
Exodus uh, 30, chapter 8. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Burn incense forever. That's what that's what they're supposed to do here. Burn incense. Make it smell nice. Why? Because you're at the, you're in the, the presence of the Lord. It should smell good. It shouldn't smell like people, right? Well, I mean, yeah, people should smell better, but it should smell good, right? Take if you if take the sweet smelling aroma and and have it in there uh, perpetually. So we get that throughout the book of Exodus and throughout the book of Leviticus, and you can imagine that. And throughout the book of Numbers, I'm just going to scroll all the way down here, right? Lots of burnt offerings. Um, there are a couple of times where things, other things get burnt, as far as I uh, remember, but we get a lot of this. Oh, yes, the Lord's anger does burn at different times, right? Um, Numbers 32, 13 is where I happen to stop. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. All right, there we go, right? What's burning here? The Lord's anger. The Lord's anger burned. Now, I do not read Hebrew. This may be a colloquialism that we've imported into English. If so, it's an exploration of how the English term burn is used. And it's a reason we shouldn't be using that word when we're interpreting other words that don't mean the same thing. Because anger burning is a very understandable concept. Right? When anger burns... We get the idea. We understand what's going on. It is a fierce, consuming anger. It is something that is that is so powerful, is overriding maybe your rational ideas in humans, right? Now, the anger of the Lord burning, that is just and righteous anger. So that's even worse for us, right? It is good. It is totally a totally righteous anger of the Lord is terrifying because we deserve it. So... Um, just want to say that. Now I'm back. I'm, at this point, I'm into Joshua and Judges, and we have basically. Well, take a guess. Take a guess. What do you think we've got going on right now? Ah, hmm? uh, if you guessed burnt offerings, burnt incense, and the anger of the Lord burning against Israel, that's pretty much pretty much accurate. That's that's where we got it right. Uh, Israel is turning aside from from Him to worship the false gods of the of the uh, of the civilizations that they were supposed to burn with fire they're now worshiping those gods and so the lord's anger is now burned against israel and he's turned them over to the uh philistines and to the the moabites and to the gadites or the gathites or different peoples um and and so because they have done what's wrong and they haven't been listening to him he's getting angry because the Lord your God is a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Right? Um, and we have that through faith. It's, isn't it a glorious thing, right? The Lord Abraham believed God, and he counted it to him for righteousness. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Trust in the Lord your God. Um, boy, I'm just spitballing at this point. Yeah, Judges. Now, we do have some other stuff in Judges. We've got burning of other things. Um, the burning of the crops by Samson. Samson burns up the st the grain of the Philistines. And we got that. Um, and then the Philistines burn the, the man 
who gave his daughter to Samson, and they burn her too. So that's pretty rough, right? There, that's where fire goes. That's burning. And let's see. Um, let's see if we get a different story here in First Samuel. Uh, offerings, offerings, burnt offerings. Oh, here we go. We've got some. Nope, we've got somebody's anger burning. Oh, 1 Samuel 20, verse 30. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan. Oh, now there we go. Um, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do you not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Right? So Saul's not happy that Jonathan likes David. So he's angry. And his anger burns, consumes him. Um, meanwhile, David in Samuel chapter 30, is burning the cities of the Amalekites. And he's burning a lot of stuff and uh, doing good work there. So, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of the Lord. This is when the ark is getting moved. Um, D David is trying to take it up into Jerusalem. And the cart that it's being uh, take, the cart that it's on, tips, and this man Yuza reaches out to stabilize it, and God strikes him down because you're not supposed to do that. He gave specific instructions: you do not touch the ark. And the guy touched the ark. Well, there you go. Get what's coming to you. Um, and so then David leaves it uh, in the house of a man nearby, and the Lord blesses this house because the guy doesn't touch the ark. Um, and then. Because David sees that, he is confident once again to bring it up into the, the capital city of Jerusalem. And then while it's there, he considers building a house for it, but he doesn't ultimately do that. He leaves that to his son, Solomon. Um, but the anger of the Lord is there burning because he didn't do what he was supposed to. Now, we do see here another fascinating story about anger burning. Um, remember back to the call for from Judah, that Tamar be burned. We have another interesting reference of burning, uh, unjustly called, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, and you can see where this is going, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. So the, what's the reference here? This is after he cheated. Um, he committed adultery. Cheated. We really have cheapened the word adultery with the word cheat. Um, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then Nathan comes to confront him with his sin, but he doesn't say it directly. He tells him about the ewe lamb, right? The man who had many flocks and the poor man who had one ewe lamb. And the man with many flocks, when a visitor comes to him, he goes to the man who has only one, and he says, give me your lamb. No, he doesn't even say it. He takes the lamb and he kills it because he doesn't want to take one of his own flock. Um, and David gets mad, right? His anger burns against that man. And then what happens, right? Surely the man who did this will die deserves to die. And Nathan says, you are the man. And David says, I have sinned. I have sinned. Right? Same thing, right? This woman is more righteous than I. I have sinned. Here we see, here we see the, the trend that goes through this, this line. It is not of perfect men. Judah is far from a perfect man. David is far from a perfect man. But when he's confronted with his sins, he confesses. Right? When, he's, when he calls... When, his, when David's anger burns inappropriately, he confesses his sin. Um, 
It is beautiful. And it's beautiful that these things two tie together uh, with the single word. I am fascinated by this word study. I am very much enjoying it. So then, as I mentioned earlier, the temple is going to be built. So you can imagine what that comes with. Drum roll, please. Oh, yeah, that's burnt offerings and burnt incense. It's incense. Incense. Ha! Diction. Help me. Um, yep, and we've got more burning of incense. Oh. Um, and then, ooh, and so now, now we've got some interesting stuff. We also have burning of false gods, right? The false images. This gets included. So, similar to how we want to, to burn the offerings, because that's commanded by the Lord, because the shedding of blood and the sacrifices... We also have the consuming of the evil, right? The burning of the effigies is is similar to how we were talking about in fire, the eternal fire that is reserved for the devil and all his angels. So what do you do with a false god? If you can, you burn it, right? When there are the Asherah poles, um, or the images of Asherah, um, which for some reason in the Septuagint was listed as Astartes, and I don't know why, but I find it hilarious because Astartes is the name of the space marines from Warhammer 40k. And they're very cool. There's a YouTube series called Astartes. It, spell it how it sounds, and it's phenomenal. If you're looking for weird sci-fi space imagery, it's 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 really cool. Kind of creepy, but it's really cool. Astartes. Again, I'm pitching that. Um, but anyway, back to the Bible. <laughs> um, the Asherah poles are burned, right? Um the false gods are supposed to be burned. The people who worship them are supposed to be burned. This is also calling back to the judges, right? This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do in the land. Um, and so here we have more burnt offerings and more burnt incense and burnt asherahs um, into Chronicles until once again, like, uh, like with the word fire, it comes up because the people are evil in the burning of Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 36 verse 19. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the walls of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles, right? They were unfaithful, wicked, perverse, unbelieving people. And in order to preserve the line, in order to preserve the people so that Christ could come where God said he was going to come, among the people God said he was going to come among, he destroys Jerusalem to preserve his promise, to preserve salvation for all of humanity. Um, this is this is the cost. This is the price. Um, it's burning, the burning of Jerusalem, much as they uh, they were supposed to do with the other ones. And if they had just done it with the other ones, well, the tongue is evil. The man is man is wicked. So we cannot cannot hypothetical. Can't, we cannot hypothetical. We can only look at the fact that, yeah, Jerusalem was destroyed and his people were carried away. And they did return, right? We get Nehemiah talks about how bad it was. And uh, they do they do try to bring the, the offerings back, but there is no, no, no Ark of the Covenant there, right? So they really can't do all of the things because the temple isn't, I mean, they rebuilt the temple, but the, uh, the Ark is not there. So, we're into Job again, and once again, his everything is burned. My skin turns black on me, and my bones burn with fever, right? So here we go, another internal feeling. 
Your bones burn with fever, right? Maybe that burning is fever. Maybe it's a virus. Who knows? Maybe it's bad chili. Um, and, and here we go. Ah, here's an interesting one. Job 32, verse 5. And when Elihu saw that there was none, that, that there was no answer in the mouth of the, the, the uh, ah, boy, do not record at one in the morning. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. So Elihu is the fourth friend of Job who is there, who gives the good counsel, whose counsel gets interrupted by God. Um, so the three schmucks are really offering bad advice. Job has been countering them honestly and with righteousness, and then eventually he goes too far and he says, I never did anything wrong. And Elihu says, no, actually, you're wrong. Um and there we go. Actually, Job 32, verse 2 goes there. But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzite, of the family of Ram, burned. Against Job, his anger burned, because Job justified himself before God. Right? Job justified himself. I, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. And Elihu has to come in and say, actually, no. Um, Job, Job, no, you do. You do. Um, you're not perfect. You 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 are just as much of a of a sinner as the rest of us, and then God interrupts him. Where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? Uh, I didn't think so. Did you? Can you conceive of Leviathan? You know, can you conceive of this giant Godzilla creature that I created? No, I didn't think so. Um, shut up, Job. Shut up. That's <laughs> yeah, a great. I love the Book of Job. It's a great book. Right? And, and the confessions that do happen there, right? Yet in my flesh I will see God. It's beautiful. All right. Let's see. What do the Psalms do? All right, so now we're going to get back into the poetic language, right? We're going to go to the Psalms. Guess what? We've got more burning anger, and we've got more burning other stuff. So I'm going to go to an exception to prove the rule. Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath, and chasten me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my skin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Well, thoughts, right? That's not a good burning in the body. Um, my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I do not want that. At all. I don't think that's what we're referencing uh, in the Luke text, but just using it for context, the burning of the body, not a good thing, not a pleasant feeling either. Um, and then we have Psalm 39, which we've already referenced. Um, he burns the chariots with fire in Psalm 46. Burnt offerings, burnt offerings, burnt offerings, burnt offerings. Um Psalm 58, before your pots can feel the fire of thorns. Oh, now that is some interesting poetry. Let's explore this. So we're going to deal with Psalm 58. Oh, God, shatter the teeth of their mouth. Um, 
Who is this? Whose mouths are these? These are the charmers. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away like the water that runs off when he aims his arrows. Let them be as headless shafts. Let them be as a snail which melts away as it goes along, like the miscarriages of a woman who will, which will never see the sun. Gee whiz. Before your pots can feel the fire of thorns, he will sweep them away with a whirlwind, the green and the burning alike. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea at all. Before your pots can feel the fire of thorns. That is fascinating. I should explore that. But we'll just keep going. Um, we've got more burning anger, more burnt offerings. More burning anger, more burnt offerings. I hope you get the idea. I don't want this to sound repetitive. But the thing is, this is what burning is in the Old Testament in particular. Um, but... This is what um, this is what the, the context is for fire, right? Now I want to make that very clear. Um, let's see. Song of Solomon has one use of burned at the very beginning. Um, Do not stare at me because I am swarthy, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They have made me caretakers of the vineyard, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. Ah, so it's a dark-skinned man who's speaking about the sun. Not contextually particularly uh, helpful. All right, let's see. We got more burnt offerings in Isaiah. And there, ah, oh, there, Isaiah 6, 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar. Yeah, this is Isaiah's call. This is Isaiah being called. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is atoned for, right? He took a burning coal. Where is the burning coal from? The smoke comes from the altar of the Lord. Takes a, a burning coal from there, right? So the coals, the, the burning coals of the altar where the sacrifice is, is before the Lord provides the atonement, right? And the ultimate atonement is the blood of Christ, right? So... The burning of the blood, the burning of that sacrifice for sin before the Lord is what allows Isaiah's tongue to be, to be, uh, for, well, accounted for, right? His evil, wicked tongue is, is used for God's purposes because the atonement has been provided. The forgiveness has been given by God. It is way too late at night. <laughs> All right, and we've got more stuff. Ooh, now here's an interesting one. Here's an interesting one in Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62, we have a very a different usage of this. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. Right? So now we have a burning torch, and this is very different. Right? But the same. The torch, the torch, the torch is burning. The torch is burning to provide light, right? So what is it doing? It is consuming something to provide light for the people, so that they may see, so that they her righteousness can go forth, her salvation, like a like the light goes away from a torch that is burning. Um, there's still something being lost there. A sacrifice is still occurring in the burning. Um, 
And I'm going to let you guess what Jeremiah's theme is with burning, right? Just take a guess. Look it up yourself um, and give give it a go. I think, I think you'll find it relatively consistent with what we've seen so far. Um, Lamentations 2. So I'm going to jump into the New Testament because... Uh, a lot of this stuff we are we're covering again, uh, the same stuff as we covered with fire. And I, I only have about 20 minutes before I want to close this out. Um, and the problem with that is that, uh, well, it's a lot of, a lot of it is again, the burning, the anger burning of the Lord. And then the rest of it's pretty much connected with the fire that we saw in the previous one. Um, the, the burning of the chaff at the end of time. Right, the burning of, of the wicked, the cleansing of the wicked, right? The purification process where the dross is burned away and only the pure gold remains. That's how you make gold, right? So gold, naturally, when you dig it out of the ground, it's got all sorts of other rocks attached to it. So how do you get just the gold? Well, the beauty of that is you can get rid of the impurities because the impurities melt at different, well, the one they're going to have different densities when they do melt. So the things that are going to be that have similar uh, chemical compositions are going to stick together, and then two, the melting points are going to be different. So if you burn something like gold, you can burn away the impurities, and that's how you can kind of test your your well, the purity of gold, and that's oftentimes how quality is measured is purity. So, all right, now there is a one that I've already looked at here in Romans. Right, so I'm going to just kind of skip over some of the other ones because they're related to fire. But here in Romans, we do have a passion again, right? So similar to the Song of Solomon reference from fire, we've got passion being referenced uh, being referenced as burning. So, therefore, this is uh, Romans chapter one verse twenty-four. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the the they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for what that which is unnatural. Sounds familiar. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving it in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Boy, does that not sound familiar. Um, disgustingly familiar. Burned in their desire toward one another. That's not a good burning. I'll tell you that much. So we're just gonna we're just gonna skate on by that burning, if you want to say that it's a good burning, but uh, yeah, no, this burning in their desire is not a good burning. It's it is an indecent, right? It is a degrading passion. The burning of that desire is a degrading passion. And I would argue, even even if it was relating to a woman, this this burning desire that's being referenced, right? In the context, read the context of what's what he's talking about here in Romans 1 it's not a good desire even if the even if the the wasn't talking about the wrong even if he wasn't talking about homosexuals it's still the desire that the, the desire is not ideal it's not good it's evil it's evil um 
we have the references again um, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? So we get back to our search. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we've got, again, if a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire, right? So once again, purification fire to to let that which is pure remain and that which is dross, right? Or not gold. When you want gold, you don't want to have the not gold stuff, so you burn it up. Um, and we have this continuing uh, Second Peter makes a reference to this. Second Peter 3, thir- uh, 12. The heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt in, in with intense heat. Um, and there it goes. There it goes. So I, I finally reached the end. Uh, the final reference of burning is Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All right. All right. I have rambled on about this for an hour and 45 minutes now. I hope it was interesting. I hope you enjoyed traveling through the Bible with me because there are some really good stories in there that that um, we covered. So I'm going to call us back to first Jeremiah. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. If I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then my heart, it becomes like a burning fire. In other words, Lord, you have taken me as your servant, and now I can't even not believe what you've told me because you've told it to me. You've given me what I am to do, and I cannot resist it. And I wish I could because I'm suffering. Because I am made a mockery of. I am cursing the day when I was born. Because I wish that I did not have to suffer this. But I can't not do it. Because it's your command, Lord. And, and as sad as I am that I am your servant in this regard. Because I have to suffer this. I can't not do it. There's a fire in my heart. That, that prevents me from stopping, right? Psalm 39. I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, my fire burned. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me know my end. My end. Lord, make me know, to know my end and what is the extent of my days. This is This man is miserable. He's absolutely miserable. Um, why? Because he's, he, he doesn't want to say nothing. Right? He's just not going to say anything. While the wicked are there, he's just going to keep hold his tongue. Um, but his heart burns. His heart burns within him to speak. To speak, to speak the truth, yes. Um, but also to not have to suffer. Because he knows what, what comes with the wicked knowing, right? the wicked hearing. Um, and now we go to our question. Did not our hearts burn within us? And this is why I would argue from using the scriptural understanding of burning, right? What is burning? What is fire? It is that which consumes, right? Water. If you want to ask about life, what gives life? Water. Did, did not our hearts burst forth, right? Something like that. 
um, rejoice. Did not our hearts rejoice while we were walking? They don't say that. They don't say that. They did not our hearts burn? I'm going to be charitable, I think, right here and say, it would be reasonable to say what these men are saying when they say, did not our hearts burn within us? That they they heard the words of Jesus and they believed them even though they didn't want to. That when, when he spoke, when he spoke, this was so contrary to what they understood, right? We thought he was going to save. He, we thought this was the one. We were hoping he was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping we would get the nation back. We were hoping we would have somebody sit on David's throne again. We've been waiting for this for years. For centuries, we've been waiting for this. And what does he say? Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter into his glory? What is his glory? His death. His death. That's what he's saying, to enter into his glory. It's, it's glorious. The death of Christ is his glory. And they don't understand. They don't understand it. And they, they find it hard to believe. And who can blame them? Their entire lives, they've been part of God's chosen people. They are born into God's chosen people whom he promised since their forefather Abraham that he would be sending his Messiah, his Christ, his, his, his answer to the promise in the garden. He, you shall bruise his head and he shall bruise, you shall, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It is way too late. Um, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was the promise. Abraham believed God and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Such that Abraham believed God such that even when he said, sacrifice your own son, burn your son. Trust me because I made a promise. And Abraham says, yes, Lord, I trust you. You made a promise and you will uphold it. You are, you are greater than the fire. Right. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe. Right. Our God is greater than your fire. Right. This. This is what the. This is what Moses sees before him, as the burn. The bush is not burned. Right. This is what. That what David learns. What David learns when he's confronted by his sin. Right. When his anger burns within him, he says, "This man deserves to die." And. And Nathan says, you are the man. And he says, I have sinned. I have sinned. God is righteous, right? What Judah learns when he calls for the burning of Tamar, this woman is more righteous than I. I am not righteous. Right? This is what the children of Israel have to, have to suffer through, right? When, when Jerusalem is burned, right? Because God is going to save his people and he cannot have his his places, his people, the places where he promised to do his work need to be there to do his work because he gave us a promise. He gave Abraham a promise. He gave Isaac a promise. He gave Jacob a promise. He gave us a promise through them. And these men, Cleopas and his friend, know this, this promise was there and they're waiting for it. And they're waiting for David to return. David's son to return, right? One of the other readings for today is when, when Peter is talking in Acts, right? And in, in, that, in that sermon he gives in Acts chapter 2, he talks about how David longed to see the day of the Lord. 
And he says, he says, I confidently say that regarding the, the patriarch David, that he has both died and was buried and his tomb is with us. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God, raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Those men on the road to Emmaus did not understand that thing, did not understand that, that the, the Christ must suffer and die. That he was a led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That there must be a blood to atone for sins. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But what we need is a blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, as the writer to the Hebrews declares. That is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Shed for you. And he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Right? And their hearts burned within him, within them, as he spoke to them, as he unveiled to them that they were hoping for the wrong thing. Indeed, if that is all that our life is worth, what these men were hoping for, right? That they would re restore Israel. Oh, that, that we had wealth. Oh, that we could just get back to work. Oh, that the GDP could grow. Oh, that we had our good, happy social order that we've always had. Oh, that the, oh, the days of old would return. Oh, that I should live to see the days renewed, right? The, now come the days of the king, right? Oh, that we could see those days. Yes, agreed. But if that's all it's about, if it's just about a nice, happy kingdom in this life, we are above all men to be pitied, pitied, right? That's what they had to learn. That's what Cleopas and his friend had to learn. It's not about this life. It is so much more. It is about eternity. Athanasius. I am Athanasius. I am immortal. It is about immortality itself. It is in that his death destroyed death so we are immortal. We will live forever. We will live forever because he died and rose, right? His resurrection proves to us that the sacrifice was complete. There is no more penalty required for sin. And they needed to learn that because they didn't know. They did not know. So if your heart's burning, it may, it may just be bad chili. It may just be bad chili, but your heart might be burning because you're, you're burning away the dross, right? Because there's an impurity in there that needs to be cleansed. I would argue that's what's going on here. Did not our hearts burn within us? Yeah, their hearts are burning. Maybe they're frustrated with this guy who thinks he's all that. And maybe they're, they're finally having those, those false hopes set asunder right? As I spoke with, with the fire one in the previous episode, the, in Daniel it speaks about the, the, the beast being consumed by fire, right? As the ancient of days is seated on his throne. Our sins need to be purged away 
Our false gods need to be taken away. And that is what he did with these, with these men. We thought he was the Christ. He, didn't you get it? This proves it. This proves it. That's what Jesus is telling them. What happened, what happened on that week proved that Jesus was the Christ. And it means so much more than they were expecting. And so thank God that these men's hearts burned within them. That, that they purged the, 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 their, their un, that their faithlessness was purged away. That the faith which he placed in their hearts could shine brightly. That the hope of the resurrection could pass from them to all, to us, to their brothers, to their brothers who were hiding in the upper room, to whom they ran with great speed because they had heard and believed at last when in the breaking of bread he was revealed to them and they realized, they realized he is risen, right? One of the things we were exploring in our uh, Bible study on Friday night was was First Peter chapter 1, toward the end. He quotes Isaiah. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All men is like grass. All men are like grass, right? We are the dust of the earth, and to dust we shall return. All men are like grass. The flower fades, but the word of the Lord, right? The word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh, and He He tabernacled with us, just as just as God, in the fire, was with His people in the desert. Even as His anger burned against them, He was with them. So, and even more, more graciously, the Word became flesh and dwelt with us. And he suffered and he died. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. But even though he died, the Word of the Lord endures forever. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Thank you for joining me on this little exploration of the scriptures. Um, I'll admit, I did not expect to be doing this. Um, just kind of got very passionate about it and and uh, interested in what it could do. So, I don't know what I will be coming down the pipe with next, uh, but uh, please tune in. We had really low viewing, uh, but I have had a very un, uh, irregular publishing schedule so i am sorry about that for all of you who look forward to this content and if you could uh share it i'd appreciate that uh, to get those numbers back up where they where they were but uh i look forward to hearing what you say as as i read in the epistle of saint james chapter three last time right we got to watch out those of us who are going to teach because the tongue is a is a devilish tool right it is a fire lit with a fire from hell so let us watch our words, watch our tongues, and uh, in that vein, please call me out where I have erred. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, but until then, 
I guess I'll just repeat that uh, wonderful Easter greeting. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. God's peace be with you. Amen.